Good morning, everyone. Past time to begin our worship service this morning. Um, I want to welcome everyone here, welcome any visitors that we have. I, I see we have some uh, around. Uh, very glad to have you with us and glad you've come to worship with us. Um, we pray that all that we do here always uh, is in keeping with God's word and according to the pattern that we find in the New Testament scriptures. Um, we will have announcements uh, at the uh, end of the worship service. Uh, before we begin, though, singing. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the opportunity to come here to worship you, to do the things that we understand that you want us to do from your word, from scripture. We pray, Father, that as we enter into this period of worship, that each of us will have emptied our minds of worldly thoughts, things cares of this world and that we will do everything we can to center our thoughts on you and our love for you and our thankfulness to you for doing what you have done for us. We thank you for giving your son to us, giving us that perfect life that we can follow and emulate and model ourselves after. We pray, Father, that as we live our lives from day to day, that we will be good examples of your son and what he brought to this, this world in his perfection. We pray, Father, that as we enter in, that we will sing with the spirit and understanding that is intended for us to do so in each of these hymns. Let us focus on the words. Let us mean the words as we sing them. As we... Listen to Chris after a while. He'll say something to us or for us that will stimulate us in ways that, that we will better serve you than we have in the past. And as we partake, Father, of the Lord's Supper, that we will do all within our power to focus on your love for us, your son's love for us, and what that sacrifice means to us in the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal salvation. Be with this Father as we enter in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 547. 547, Rejoice, the Lord is King. Rejoice, the Lord is King, your Lord and King adore. Rejoice, give thanks and sing and cry out there, serve Lord. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again, I say, rejoice. Jesus, the Savior, praise the God of truth and love. When he had heard the saying, he took his feet up, lift up your heart, lift up your voice. 
rejoice, rejoice again. I say rejoice. Their kingdom cannot fail. He rules for earth and heaven. The kings of death and hell are homages just him. Lift up your heart. Lift up your voice. Rejoice again. I say rejoice. Rejoice in glorious hope. Our Lord the judge shall come and take his servant up to their eternal home. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again, I say rejoice. Please be seated. Next hymn this morning, number 501, Oh, Worship the King. <clears throat> After this hand, Brother Casey Baker will have our scripture reading and prayer. <clears throat> This morning's scripture comes from Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 through 20. After Abram returned from defeating Kedor Laamer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaba, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, 
who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Let us pray. Father, we come to you now. Thankful for this assembly, Father. Thankful for the word you've given us, Father, the wisdom that it, that it contains, Father. We pray, Father, for the, the strength to use that wisdom in a way that glorifies your name, Father. We pray that we can withstand the temptations of this earth, Father. We pray that in all we do is worthy of your name. Father, we pray for those who can't meet with us this morning for whatever reason, health, that they've fallen away, Father, whatever the reason is. We pray that, that you restore to them that which they need to maintain and, and live a faithful life for you, Father. Father, we ask a special prayer this morning for your continued blessing, your continued healing strength for Rusty, Father. Be with the family. Be with the doctors. Give them the strength, Father, that they need to help him in the way that only you can, Father. Father, be with each and every one of us as we go throughout this week, Father. Comfort all of us in our times of need, Father. Watch over us, keep us safe. Forgive us when we sin, Father, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Next time this morning, number 384. 384, lead me to Calvary.
couple of weeks ago, when Cy Wilson got up here and talked about how important it was to observe the Lord's table and not to forget, to remember. And I, th I think he did an excellent job, and I want to just expound on that a little bit. In 1897, Rudyard Kipling, who was in charge of the cemeteries of the soldiers in England, wrote this recessional is what the, was called, and this is the last line. God of our fathers, known of old, Lord of our far-flung battle line, beneath whose awful hand we hold dominion over palm and pine. Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. This is the writing. Many of you are familiar with the red poppy that, that people wear on, on Memorial Day. That's where this came from. This is where the, the use of that poppy came from. It's also probably Deuteronomy 4, verse 7 and 9 is where Kipling got this particular idea. And I'd like to read that for you. Verse 7, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today. Only give heed to yourself, keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life but make them known to your sons and grandsons. Lest we forget the song that we sang brings that thought to mind. We have tendency, tendency to forget. The ex perfect example, the Jews forgot over and over and over again all that God had done for them, delivering them from Egypt and providing them the promised land. And they forgot over and over. And we might say, well, we observe the Lord's Supper every Sunday. How can I forget Exactly. That's why we don't want to forget. And he knew we could, so he established it every week. Did the Israelites ever forget 
Did they forget the Red Sea? Did they forget the manna? Did they forget that their enemies were defeated? If we don't remember Jesus and what he's done for us, his sacrifice, it becomes less important to us. And we don't pay attention to it like we need to. Jesus becomes less important to us. Lest we forget. One of Jesus' favorite sayings was, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Over and over again, talking about the uh, parable of the soils he ended up with there. Talking to the seven churches, each admonition ended with that for each church. If you've got ears to hear, hear. He's saying this is important. Listen to what I've got to say. And he says, do this in remembrance of me, lest we forget. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we come approaching your throne of grace, Father, humbly realizing how powerful and wonderful all knowledge that you have and that you have done everything for us. Father, in our weaknesses, we tend to forget how important the sacrifice of Jesus is for us. Help us, Father, to remember as we partake of this bread that represents his body. Help us to return to the cross. Lead us back to Calvary, Father, and help us to remember. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. again to our Father in prayer. Dear kind and gracious Father in heaven, we are so thankful that we can call you Father and that you would have us to be your children. Father, we thank you so much for the shed blood of Jesus that we might have the gift of eternal life that we might have forgiveness of sin that we might be with you one day Father help us to always remember his death his burial and his resurrection help us to guide our lives by those particular thoughts in Jesus name we pray Amen Because of the COVID, 
we have collection boxes in the back for your contribution. And it is our duty to make sure that the church does its, fills its obligations in this community, that we pay for the electricity, that we do the benevolence, that we do the spreading of his word. Give your contribution humbly, thankfully, and joyously because he has done so much for us. Bow with me, please. Kind, gracious, and heavenly Father, we appreciate so much all that you've done for us and realize, Father, what we would be without you. We would be nothing. Father, everything that we have comes from you and belongs to you. And Father, we pray that we use it wisely and contribute it back that its use might benefit others. Father, be with us and bless us as we give. In his name we pray. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 213. He gave me a song. 213. It's at this time the young children may go to the children's Bible hour.
Please be seated. Imitation hymn this morning, number 482. 482. Oh, listen to our wondrous story. Brother Christian. Good morning. It's good to be back with you this week. I hope you've had a great Christmas. Be turning to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to walk through this entire chapter today, I hope. Uh, I have spent the week trying to figure out a way to uh, narrow down this, this chapter in bite-sized pieces, and I don't think it can be done. At least it can't be done by me. So we're going to try to tackle the whole thing uh, in, one, in one sitting. This is uh, a vast chapter. Um, you're going to in- encounter a brand new person today. His name is Melchizedek. It's okay if you don't know very much about him. Nobody does. Uh, and so we get to meet this guy, and this is really what the Hebrews, Hebrew writer has been getting to since he opened up this letter. Uh, he's been shooting at this point, this central point, uh, and this is the entire point of Hebrews. Um, this is what Hebrews is all about. He's, he's been surging toward, trying to get to Hebrews chapter 7, and the point that he's going to make in this chapter is, is, the point, is the central point of Hebrews. Um, this priesthood, this, this Melchizedekian priesthood is unlike anything else. And so today, as we are in the Christmas season, you think of the birth of Christ, maybe, but the Hebrew writer today in Hebrews chapter 7 wants us to direct our attention toward the work of Christ. And so that's what we're going to endeavor to do today. If you were to say to a first century Jewish person, a first century Jewish Christian, who's the priest? Well, they would rattle off somebody's name. They would probably rattle off the high priest's name. And you would say, well, how did he get to become the priest? Well, they would say, well, duh, he is the descendant of Aaron, who is of the tribe of Levi. That one guy in that one family was the only one who could be the high priest. The Hebrew writer today introduces us to another priest. In fact, a greater priest. And he's got a, uh, he's going to use him as an illustration for a still greater priest. In, in uh, Genesis chapter 14, the passage Casey read for us this morning, you get to meet Melchizedek. He is king of Salem. His name means king of righteousness. Uh, and so he is twice a king. Abraham is coming back from rescuing Lot in, uh, after the, the raid was uh, on Sodom and Gomorrah and several other kingdoms. Uh, the people were raided there and several people were taken off into captivity as long, along with a lot of the goods that were there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Abraham, because Lot is in that raid, was one of the ones taken captive. Abraham rushes to his aid. But by the time he's able to get to uh, Lot, and his captors, they have traversed the entire land of what will one day be known to Abraham as Israel. And so he exits uh, Israel and is forced to actually go up north, and that's where he is uh, able to catch the captives. He and his soldiers 
uh, wage war against them, uh, against their captors, and they take uh, Lot and all of the, uh, the stuff back down to Sodom and Gomorrah. On their way home, they meet this guy. His name's Melchizedek. He just apparently pops out of Jerusalem. Salem is the city that will one day be known as Jerusalem. Apparently, he just walks out of Jerusalem, and he's got a feast set up there for uh, Abram and, and his company. Um, and Abraham sees this as a blessing, and in fact, Melchizedek will bless Abraham. The Hebrew writer is insistent on that. We'll talk about why in just a second. And so uh, Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything that he brought with him. This is just impressive. Um, and so you begin to see that Melchizedek is greater even than Abraham. Now, to us, we're like, okay, that doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. But to a first century Jew, to any Jewish person, saying that someone is greater than the father Abraham, than the, the, the creator of the Jewish nation, the first person in the Jewish nation, to say someone is greater than him, you better bring it if you're going to make that claim because Father Abraham is the one that they all look toward. And so if you're saying someone's greater than him, that person must be very great indeed. You meet Melchizedek, who is greater. The Hebrew writer is insistent, is greater than Abraham. Grab your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to walk through this text today, uh, but I want you to see several things about Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 7. Let's just look at these first five verses. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth, part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Remember, Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. Salem means peace. So this guy is king of righteousness, but he's also king of peace. That's important. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priest's offering have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these are also descended from Abraham. So there's a couple of things in these five verses that I want you to, to see. If you mark in your scriptures, maybe you want to underline some of these, some of these terms. This idea that he is king of Salem. Uh, I've got seven points here. They're going to go fast, so don't, don't get too concerned. Uh, but seven points, and they all start with the letter P. Got really creative this week. Uh, you're welcome. So, King of Salem, Melchizedek is a potentate. Now, that's not a word we use very often, but it means he is king. He's ruler. Uh, he is sovereign. So, he is king of Salem. Like we talked about, Salem will one day become the city that we know as Jerusalem. This is long before the children of Israel have set foot in Israel. It's not theirs yet. In fact, Abraham is just now coming into the land and becoming acquainted with some of the cities here. And he meets this guy, Melchizedek, king of Salem. He is a king. He's a potentate. Second thing, he is also a priest. Um, 
but not just any priest, right? He is priest of the Most High God. He's Yahweh's priest, which is unfathomable almost because he lives in a pagan nation. But he is familiar with Yahweh, Israel's God, the God of the Bible, to the extent that he is the, the priest. He is a priest of, of Yahweh. And so this guy just becomes even more enigmatic than, than we can imagine. We don't know where he comes from or where, when he dies. We don't know anything else from him except what we find in Genesis 14. But the Hebrew writer latches on to this guy because of a verse in Psalm 110 where he is said to be like the Messiah. And the Hebrew writer tells you how he's like the Messiah. We'll get to that in just a bit too. But right now you just need to know that he's a potentate, he's a ruler, and he's also a priest. He is a peer of Abraham. Uh, you remember the story in Genesis 14 where he uh, comes over to uh, bless Abraham. Abraham gives him a, a tenth of everything, and so he is a contemporary of Abraham. He's also the king of peace. That's a really beautiful thought, right? What's it mean to be king of peace? Well, this guy is king of Salem. Something about this kingdom indicates that it's a peaceful one, and he is focused on peace. This particular king is He's also the king of righteousness, being right with God, right? We're running through these very quickly, but we're going to come back to them in just a minute and make them a little bit more poignant, I suppose. Uh, so he is king of righteousness. He's king of, of right, um, being right with God, of becoming right with God, doing the, the things that make him right with God. He's focused on that, but he's also without father or mother. He doesn't have a genealogy. Obviously, he had a father and mother, right? Physically speaking. What the Hebrew writer is trying to get across here is you don't know them. We're not acquainted with them. We're not given their names. But even more importantly to a Jewish person, you don't know their genealogy. They're not from Levi's tribe. They're not from Aaron's descendants. And so that was incredibly important to a Jewish person. They had to be able to track their lineage, especially if you were going to become a priest, especially if you were going to become the high priest. You had to be able to track your lineage from Aaron, if you're going to become the high priest, all the way down. So this guy pops up on the scene. He's a priest. He's a king. But he doesn't have a lineage. He just pops up out of nowhere. And the Hebrew writer latches onto that and sees something significant in there. He's also... so. The, the P word there is he's peculiar, said with as much respect as possible. He's unique. The last thing he says here is that he is great. We're going to use the, the P word paramount. Uh, he is incredible. He's, he's great. The Hebrew writer wants you to see how significant this guy was. Don't, don't get lost in the history here. Uh, as you read through chapter 7 of Hebrews, you may be thinking, well, what in the world does this random figure in the Old Testament have to do with Jesus, and how's it going to be helpful for me in my own life? We're going to get there. Remember that he's a potentate, a priest, a P, 
peer of Abraham. He's king of feasts. He's perfect. He's peculiar. And he is paramount. These guys, these Jewish Christians, the letter that this, that, that the, the, the people that this letter was written to are on the verge of going back into Judaism. They're being pushed, pressured into going back into Judaism just to alleviate some of the suffering, some of the ostracization that they've experienced, some of the shunning that they've experienced. They want that gone. And so they are being pushed back into Judaism, being tempted to go back into Judaism. And our author says that is the utmost foolishness. That would be insanity. And one of the big reasons is because you'd be walking away from Jesus as high priest and back into the arms of Aaron as high priest. That's a problem for a couple of different reasons. But the main one is that that old law is not perfect. And it could not make you perfect. Perfection is impossible under that old law. It's obvious that law needed replacing, and that's exactly what Jesus does, uh, or what God does in Jesus' death. Flip, flip over to Hebrews chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 12. We'll come. He, he's always focused on Melchizedek in this, in this chapter, so that's what, we're not leaving Melchizedek, but we're we're trying to get to the point of what he's trying to make here. So in 7.12 he says, For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. So he's saying that there's a new priest in town, so there's a brand new law as well. The new priest is not Melchizedek, the new priest is Jesus. But he's saying there's something significant. Mel Jesus is like Melchizedek in a couple of different ways. And he's trying to get us to see that and why it's so important for us. But what we need to see, first of all, is that there is a new priest and thus a new law, one that is perfect. And so if you're thinking, like the first century Jews may have been thinking, well, Jesus didn't come from the tribe of Levi, so how can he possibly be a good priest? Well, look down a couple of verses. In verse 16, starting verse 15. Hebrews 7, verse 15 says, This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. He's talking about lineage there. Melchizedek didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that either. Um, here's, what, here's how Jesus did it. By the power of an indestructible life. He said, if, if you're still hung up on Jesus not being able to be a priest because he's not descended from Levi and Aaron, you need to go back and look at the resurrection. Because once someone dies and he lives again, he can do whatever he wishes. He can be whatever he wants. Uh, since he has been resurrected, he can do whatever he wants. And apparently he wants to be our priest. And so he's got an indestructible life. It's such a, a beautiful concept. They tried to destroy him, but they couldn't they failed just when they thought that they had had him just when they thought that they had destroyed him it was actually his greatest accomplishment so we'll come back and talk about the importance of Jesus high priesthood in just a bit but Arthur wants to see wants us to see something else too uh, Hebrews seven twenty two says that Jesus priesthood is the guarantee of a better covenant look in verse 22 he says this makes Jesus 
the guarantor of a better covenant. Have you ever sold a car or maybe a house or bought a car or a house or something with a title, like a boat or something? How do you know that that, that that house is yours or that the car is yours? Well, when they hand you over the keys, still not yours, is it? When they hand you over the title with your name signed on it, then it's yours, isn't it? That's the guarantee that that thing is, is yours. The Hebrew writer is saying that we have a brand new covenant, and Jesus is the guarantee of that. His priesthood uh, is, is our guarantee. It's a surety. And so that's something we can rely on, right? This is, this is what the Hebrew writer is trying to get across to us. And Jesus' priesthood is, is essential, uh, but it's also sure. And these folks were worried that maybe Jesus wasn't everything he had said he was. Maybe he wasn't everything that, uh, that the apostles had said that he was. But the Hebrew writer says he is that and more. Everything um, that is possible is possible because of him. And he's got an indestructible life. The problem with the, he, with the human priests was they, they couldn't live on. And so their priesthood, their intercession, their meteors, mediatorship ended because of their death and a brand new guy came to become the priest. But he's saying Jesus doesn't have that problem. He's not affected anymore by human frailty. And so he doesn't die. And so he continues on as our intercessor, the one who stands in between us and the one that has blazed the trail for us, showing us how to get to the Father and has even led the way for us. Last week we talked about him being a pioneer. Uh, he's the one who has blazed the trail to the Father, showed us the way, and now he, the Hebrew writer says in, in chapter 7, lives to make intercession for us. And so if you're hurting, he's the one who's taking your prayers and giving them to the Father pleading with him on your behalf. And so we kind of got to think, how is Jesus like Melchizedek? Because that's his point. That's one of the things he wants us to see. Turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 6. There's an awful lot that we can and should talk about in, in Hebrews 7. Every word is important, right? We've talked about that in the past. But to try to get across the, the main point of what he's trying to get across here, I think it may be helpful for us just to look at it in one big uh, one big patch. Uh, so we kind of have to take this whole chapter together. So go back through, read this whole chapter, spend some time with it, uh, but, but kind of focus on how Jesus is like Melchizedek. And I think the words... Uh, on the board behind me will help you. Jesus is a potentate. He also is a king, right? Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice uh, of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the, sound of like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Jesus is a king. In fact, he is king kings, right? Look in verse 16. 
On his robe and on his, on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Melchizedek was king, right? He was the king of Salem, but Jesus is a king. So the thing that Melchizedek has, Jesus has them in spades. Not only is he a king, he is the king of kings. Jesus is also a priest, is he not? But not just any priest. He is the high priest. In fact, the Hebrew writer tells us that he is the high, high priest. Remember, earlier he's talked about how Jesus is the great high priest. Now, here's an interesting little twist for us. The Hebrew writer points us to this idea that Melchizedek was the priest of the most high God. That's an allusion to Yahweh, but it's kind of in a beautiful, a poetic allusion to Yahweh. He is enthroned in majesty. He's far above everything else, all other deities, all other anything. He is enthroned above all those things. He is the most high God. And so when we come to Jesus and compare him to Melchizedek, he's not just a priest of the most high God. He is a priest and he is the most high God. He is superior to Melchizedek in every way possible. It's really an interesting uh, thing that the Hebrew writer is trying to do here for us. He's also uh, peace. Uh, can be, he can be characterized, Jesus can be characterized by peace. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Isaiah promises that he will be the prince of peace, the only one who can make peace between us God. Flip over to Hebrew, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. One of the things we spend our lives doing is trying to make peace between us and God. But Jesus has already done that for us. If we are inside of Christ, and only if we are inside of Christ, can we possibly have peace with God. That hasn't always been true. People haven't always had peace with God. The priest's job was to attempt to make peace with God, between God and people, but it always fell short. Those sacrifices weren't sufficient for peace. They were just sufficient to roll that wrath forward until there was a time when it could be dealt with. Jesus dealt with it on the cross, and so only inside of him can we find peace. Ephesians 2, verse 14 for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Isn't that a beautiful thought? So flash back to his death when he broke down the, 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 the curtain of the temple. That divided us from God, right? It kept us safe from God. Uh, that, that temple, the curtain in the temple was one of the barriers that he used to keep us safe from his righteousness. Because a righteous and just God can have a relationship or can be close to sinful and wicked people. And so he had to have that, that thick temple of the curtain, the thick curtain temple. Wow. The thick curtain inside the temple worked as a barrier between us in him. But at Jesus' death, what happened? That temple, uh, the curtain was torn, right? 
Paul in Ephesians 2 is saying that that wasn't the only thing that was torn, that, that symbolically tore away God's wrath. And so now if you're inside of Christ, that hostility that God once held towards you is gone. And now you have peace, right standing with the Father. That's what we all look forward to, right? That's what we all need. We talk a lot about human need. The one thing you need is peace with God because there's wrath coming. And if we don't have peace with Him, we're subject to the wrath. And so we're looking for peace. Paul says, the Hebrew writer says, Jesus is our peace. Isaiah calls Him the Prince of Peace. And so Melchizedek was King of Peace. And Jesus is exponentially more the king of peace than Melchizedek ever could have been. He's also a peer of Abraham. I suppose you can put that in quotation marks. Jesus was a peer of Abraham. Certainly uh, in John chapter 8 verse 58 uh, he's talking to the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection, who don't believe in the afterlife and Jesus is saying before Abraham was, do you remember how he finishes that sentence? For Abraham was, I am. He's claiming eternality. He's claiming divinity there. And so we can, we can say that Jesus was a peer of Abraham, but so much more than that. Melchizedek was a peer of Abraham. Jesus is eternal. He's also perfect. Just like Melchizedek uh, here, uh, king of righteousness, uh, a good translation there is perfection or perfect. Jesus is perfect in a way that Melchizedek never even dreamed of. This good man who out of his idolatry and out of his uh, paganism has come to God in such a way that he became the, most high, the priest of most high God. Even he's not perfect. But Jesus the Christ is perfect, holy, and righteous. He's also peculiar. We don't know where Melchizedek came from. We don't know his genealogy. We don't know his, his family. He's not from the tribe of Levi, certainly. And so he's unique. He's peculiar. But so is Jesus in an even more fantastic way. Turn over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I'm going to point you to a verse that you are familiar with. You can probably quote it's verse 16, but I bet you've never thought about it in this light. This verse teaches us that Jesus is peculiar, that he's unique in the most fantastic way possible. John 3:16, he says, "For God so loved the world that he gave his only son." Most some of your translations say maybe say only begotten son or one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That idea that, that only begotten son or one and only son, that's a Greek word in, uh, in Greek. It says monogenes. That's how you say that word. And it, it's unique. One and only. There's only one Jesus. There's not, a, there's not a duplicate. There's not a copy out there. There's not anything that comes close. He is the one and only. And he came to die for us so that we could have peace 
with God so that we could be reconciled back to him. And so while Melchizedek was unique, he's not even close to Jesus' ballpark. He's also paramount. Jesus is great in a way that Melchizedek never even thought possible. He's keeping us safe from God's wrath by atoning for our sins and keeping us secure by being our advocate to the Father. That's the path that he blazed for us. Last week, a couple weeks ago, we talked about him becoming the pioneer, entering into God's presence there at the end of chapter 6. Now he sits there, stands there, making intercession for us, pleading our case to the Father because he knows exactly what you've been through. Tempted in every way as you are, yet without sin. He is your priest. It's hard for us in 21st century America to wrap our minds around what it means to be a priest. But he is our advocate. Maybe that's a term we're more familiar with. You ever gotten a letter from the IRS? Yeah? We got one several years ago, and I opened it. I thought, oh, this is weird. You know, it's got the, 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 the name on the, on the envelope. It's like, what is, what is that? What do they want? And so you open it up, and they want something. I'm like, oh, no, they want something. And I took it over to Kelly. I was like, Kelly, they want something. And so we talked about, like, what are we going to do? I don't even understand what they want. And so I called our CPA, the guy that does our taxes, and I said, what do they want? And he, he walked me through it. You know how happy I was to have an advocate when that letter came? That's what Jesus does for us, but in such a superior way. Because there's nothing you can do to get out of sin on your own. If he didn't die, you're lost. I'm lost. There's not a good enough life you could have lived to be at peace with God. There was only wrath. That was the only thing that was possible. But now he stands as our advocate. If you are inside of Christ, he stands in between you and the Father and functions as an advocate for you. It's a beautiful thought, isn't it? But it's only true for those of us who are inside of Christ. If you've been baptized into his blood and you're living your life for him, he serves as an advocate. If you're not, you've yet to be baptized into him. He's not yet. And, and wrath is still coming for you. That's, that's still the only thing that's there. Because you haven't done what's necessary yet to avoid the wrath, to get inside of him, to be at peace with God. And so this morning, if you need to be baptized into his blood, what are you waiting for? You have a high priest who is superior in every way to every other priest who stands as your advocate this morning, who's pleading with you to come to him for safety, for peace, for reconciliation with the Father. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning, and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be pleasing to God with your life and with your mind, with every aspect of who you are. If you have any need this morning, won't you come as we stand and sing?
Good morning, church family. First great lesson. Appreciate you, brother. A um, couple announcements before we are dismissed. Um, this Sunday, or today, is the last day for you to take your pictures for a directory. So uh, after the closing prayer, if you can make your way, if you haven't taken your picture yet for a directory, make your way to the conference room so we can uh, do that and also uh, confirm your address and phone number. It would be greatly appreciated. Also, on January 2nd, we'll start back Sunday for the Savior. This is for fifth grade and under. Uh, we'll start it uh, back at 5 o'clock here at the building. Uh, so please get your child involved in this event. Also, this coming Wednesday, we'll only have a devotional only. There will be no Bible class. Uh, so devotional only, no Bible class this Wednesday. <coughs> Excuse me. Connie Sullivan has a card that she would like for me to read. Uh, she lost her brother, and uh, it says, Thank you, Rome Church of Christ. Thank you to all the ladies who prepared delicious food and to the people you sent cards. We appreciate your thoughtfulness, the Harbor family, and this will be posted out in the foyer board. Remember in our prayers, uh, Chris did a great lesson Wednesday on, about prayer, on how God listens to our prayers. Um, Mary, continue to keep Rusty Leaf in your prayers at this time. Um, his body needs to be strengthened. We know Rusty is a fighter. He's always been a fighter. And um, just pray for him that uh, God is with him during this fight, that he comes off the vent. Right now, he's struggling uh, through uh, his cancer that he's had. Um, that he's been struggling with for a while, and, this is ran, and he's ran into some complications. So remember to continue to keep Rusty in your prayers. Also, remember to continue to keep Judy Gerald's brother, Buddy Graham, in your prayers. Uh, he's on a vent as well. So remember to continue to keep uh, uh, Buddy Graham in your prayers. Marvin Jordan is having back surgery on January the 10th. Uh, he is having a rod put in his back, and it sounds like it's going to be a complicated surgery. So remember Marvin and Judy Jordan is going through physical therapy at this time and is having some difficulties with that. So remember to keep uh, Marvin and Judy uh, in your prayers during this time. Uh, Larry Faulkner uh, was taken to the uh, St. Mary's, so remember Larry in your prayers at this time as well. Remember to continue to keep Kristen Ward in your prayers. And also uh, Tanya Ward's uh, stepdad, David Pettacord. Did I say that right, Pettacord? David Pettacord. This is Tony Ward's stepfather. Uh, he has an infection in his kidneys, and he's in ICU. He lives in Florida, Jacksonville, Florida. Um, so remember to continue to keep uh, her stepfather in your prayers during this time as well. Uh, that's all the announcements I have at this time. Um, looking forward to seeing everybody again. This, yes. Judy Gerald's brother passed away. Yeah, so remember that family in your prayers during this time. I hate to hear that. Um, we'll sing one more song. We just missed in prayer, and uh, looking forward to seeing everybody again at 4 o'clock this evening. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 738. We'll sing the first two verses today of We Will Glorify the King of Kings.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you at this time, Lord, thanking you, Father, for this avenue of prayer that you give us, Father. We're thankful that we can approach you, and Lord, thank you for our time here this morning that we can worship you, Lord, and we just pray that everything that we've done has pleased you, and Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, and thank you for Chris's lesson that just reminds us of just how great Jesus is, and we're so thankful, Father, that we have an advocate in him, and he can inter- that he intercedes on our behalf and we know that we can't save ourselves Father and we just thank you for him for the sacrifice he made for each of us and the hope that we have because of that sacrifice Lord and Father just um, thank you for our church family here and the ability to be here this morning to fellowship with one another and again just to, to worship you and Father we are mindful of just so many of our number that are struggling this, today and we do continue to lift Rusty up to you, Father, and just pray that you would be with him today. Give him a good day. We pray for strengthening of his body, Father, and just bless him and bless the physicians and nurses that are tending to him. Just give them wisdom and help them uh, as they continue to watch over him, Lord. And Father, be with Kristen. We just pray for her and bless her. And, and just be with Tanya's stepdad. Pray for healing for him and be with Marvin and Judy Gerald and pray for them and for the upcoming surgery that Marvin has and bless him and and be with um, uh, those who have lost loved ones, Father, uh, recently and um, be with Judy Gerald with the passing of her brother and just so many that have lost loved ones, especially this time of the year, can be very difficult. Lord, we just ask your hand on them that you just comfort them and, and give them peace and be with our shut-ins, Father, as well. It could be a difficult time to, to be alone, and we just pray that you'd be with each of them and watch over them, Lord. And Father, just be with us. Forgive us when we do fall short and, and sin against you, Lord, as we are sinful people. We're imperfect, and we just pray you keep us from temptation and pray that we keep our focus upon you in all that we do and give us safe travels home this day. It's through Jesus Christ we do pray. Amen.